So there's a couple things. Oh, there you go. There's a couple things that could be said about this. First off, if you look at uh, even the Catechism of the Catholic Church, actually admits that the confession uh, that Peter makes is at least in part um, the 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 rock upon which Jesus is is building his church. But at the same time, uh, Peter being called Peter is very clearly also him being the rock upon which the church is is founded. And we can see this in a couple of different ways. So in the first place, uh, Peter very clearly takes a primacy amongst all of the apostles. He's listed first in every single listing of the apostles. Judas uh, is invariably listed last, go figure. Um, on top of that, Peter alone is really given a, a, a new name. Now, the, the James and, and John, the sons of Zebedee, are called the Bonarges, the sons of thunder, right? But People don't call them Bonarges in general. It's more of like a playful term because they were so loud. Whereas Peter alone, other than Paul, which is much later than this, uh, who takes a, a new name uh, from Saul to Paul, showing his his reformation, reformation uh, of, of character and intent and everything else, his, his new life he's, he's taking on as a Christian. Peter's the only one that we know of who gets a new name, and he's the only one who's consistently called by that name. His name is Simon, son of John or son of Jonah, Simon Bar Jonah. Now, Matthew 16 is, of course, a proof text lots of Catholics use, and rightfully so, uh, to establish the Petrine primacy, because here we see Jesus giving a threefold blessing. And then threefold blessing um, is divided into two parts. So there's a, a part A and a part B. Part A is the blessing, and part B is the explanation of the blessing. So he says, uh, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, uh, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, you are rock. Petros. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now this is a threefold blessing. Uh, and each part of the blessing is, uh, explained in the others, in the other part of it, right? So it very clearly is telling him he's blessed and he is the rock upon which the, the church is going to be built. That's why Jesus changes his name to Peter. Now, some people will raise the argument that in Greek, Petra is the word for, you know, a big stone, a movable rock or whatever. And Petros, which is the term that he gives to Peter, uh, it means it can mean a little pebble, right? Uh, and this is true. Uh, if you look at the Greek, Petros can mean a little tiny pebble. However, uh, unlike English, Greek has um, has gender in in its nouns. So Petra is feminine. And if you're going to pick somebody out and say, you're going to be the rock upon which I'm building my church, you wouldn't call him Mrs. Rock, right? That just wouldn't jive. <laughs> uh, Jesus is pretty countercultural. That's the type of thing he just wouldn't do because it would be viewed as a slight, if nothing else. So he just changes the name Petra to Petros, uh, making it masculine. And that takes over. Uh, that's why Peter is you know so preeminent amongst all the apostles. You know, John, uh, the beloved disciple, runs to the, the tomb, but it's, it's Peter who enters first. He waits for Peter. Uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they meet Jesus, and then they come back, see the apostles, and say, the, the Lord has appeared to Peter, right, over and over and over again. Um, Peter is listed by name in some variation, Peter, Petros, Cephas, Kepha, uh, over 190 times in Scripture. The next most common apostle after him is John. So G other than Jesus, Peter is mentioned more than any other apostle. And of course, we can look at New Testament or, um, or first century stuff as well. But here's the interesting thing. Um, the very first time Jesus meets Peter is when he gives him this new name. Uh, this is in John chapter 1. One verse 42-ish. Uh, don't quote me on that. I can go pull it up, I guess. Um, and literally, and actually, you know, I'm just going to pull it up. I'm going to pause. Hang on. All right. So I think this is the this is the NIV. I'm just pulling up whatever was first in Bible Gateway. <laughs> so if you have a preferred 
uh, translation. Feel free to, to look it up in that instead. Um, and so here we see, you know, John's disciples, uh, follow Jesus. Um, and, and John is really cool because this, this wording here is original. So John is writing in Greek. Um, and he is giving us explanations, uh, of Aramaic or Hebrew words, uh, that we may not understand. And so here we have, uh, the very first time this is John 1. Uh, 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and he's already calling him Simon Peter because he knows that we, the reader, are already going to know who this is, uh, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. So again, they said to him, Rabbi, that means teacher. We found the Messiah, that means Christ, anointed, right? And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated as Peter. So he's telling us that Cephas here uh, is translated as Peter. Now, this is a funny word because Cephas actually, cephalos in Greek means head. Uh, so it's actually kind of a play on words. Um, but what is really happening is we are having the Aramaic. We know Jesus spoke Aramaic. There's certain lines in scripture um, when he's on the cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Um, the little girl, Talitha kum, he tells her to rise. There's certain words that are given to us in in Aramaic when they, for whatever reason, really want to show the words of Jesus. And so what's happening here is you're having transliteration. So transliteration is when you take the, the words from, from one language and spell them in the letters of another language. So this is taking an Aramaic word, kepha, uh, and transliterating it into Greek, kephas, or Cephas is how it's often pronounced, but really it should be a hard C. Uh, sometimes you'll see the alpha on here sometimes, or the, the, the sigma at the end here, uh, kepha, kephas. Um, in fact, well, I'll come back to that point in a minute. Um, and so the, the, what we can look at is we can look at Aramaic. Now in Aramaic, the word kepha means a big boulder and a movable rock, a, a huge stone. Uh, and in fact, uh, the word for a tiny pebble is evna. And so what really would happen is if Jesus is calling Peter, Simon Peter, if he's calling him a pebble, an insignificant little rock, we should be talking about Simon Evan, not Simon Peter. But the fact that we're talking about Simon Petros, uh, Simon the Rock, uh, lets us know very, very clearly uh, that, in fact, this is who Jesus was. Uh, this is what Jesus was intending. And, of course, there's other things that, that can go on there, right? So when Jesus gives him the keys to the kingdom, it, two chapters later in Matthew 18, he gives the other apostles binding and loosing authority. He only gives it to the 12. He's not giving this to everybody because he's setting up a new uh, kingdom. So he, you know, he gives us the parable about pouring new wine into, into old wineskins, you know, and the wineskin will burst. So he's preparing new wineskins. He's preparing a new church because the old uh, ways, the old temple, the old guard, the Pharisees and the scribes uh, were, they were losing their way, right? They were out of touch. And he, he laments and he, he lambastes them, you know, the you brood of vipers uh, repeatedly, even though they had a legitimate authority. So in Matthew 23, he tells us that uh, at least for the time being, you were, you were obliged to uh, do as they said, because obedience is an important part uh, of passing on the faith. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Hang on just a second. Anyway, so uh, Jesus gives Peter the keys to the kingdom. Now, this is something that we can actually find back in Isaiah. I want to say 20 or 22. I always forget this one. I think it's 22, 20. Yeah, there we go. Uh, and so this is a... Uh, this is a defrocking ceremony of a guy who holds the keys and we're going to see very, very similar language. Um, so there's a guy named Shebna who's being kicked out of his office and another guy being put in. So this office is the office of the prime minister. So the king's job was to be off fighting for his kingdom, right? Uh, in fact, David did that most of his life. The one time he didn't, he was walking around the roofs. He got in trouble, not doing what he was supposed to be doing. Uh, saw a pretty girl, saw Bathsheba, 
uh, wound up taking her on and uh, got her husband uh, pushed to the front lines and, and taken out. It's a terrible story, even though this is a man after God's heart, right? So let's just know even even the, the best men, the holiest of men uh, can be downright monsters at times, right? That's an important lesson. But uh, more to the point. So the, the king, when he was away, would have ministers uh, running the kingdom. Obviously, the kingdom doesn't run itself. You have ministers that run the kingdom. However, um, the king would also have uh, so many ministers sometimes that they would need somebody who'd be like a, like a tiebreaker, right? And so to one minister, he would be elevated to be given the primacy, the prime minister. And can you guess what the symbol I've already highlighted of that ministry is? It's the key. So here we actually see the a defrocking ceremony of this steward, this, this prime steward or prime minister. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. When he opens, none will shut. What he binds, none will loose. What he looses, none will bind. What he shuts, none will open. I will drive him like a peg in a firm place, and he will become a seat of honor for the house of his father, and the glory of the whole family will hang upon him. So this is literally what Jesus is doing. In fact, if you were a first century Jew, even if you thought Jesus was absolutely crazy, uh, you would say, okay, here's a guy who says he's, you know, the descendant of David. He says he's the Christ, the Messiah, the new anointed. Uh, remember the kings of old would be anointed with oil, right? That's, you know, literally the word Messiah can just mean a king. Um, and here he is, the, the king in the line of David. And here he is giving the keys to the kingdom to one of his inner circle. If you were a first century Jew, even if you thought Jesus was completely crazy, you would know that he is elevating this man as his prime minister. That's really as, as simple as it gets. So for all of these reasons, we can know that even if the confession upon uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God is part of what the church is built on. And to be sure it absolutely is. Nevertheless, there's so many other things going on uh, that show us that Peter is in fact the rock upon which the church was built. So here's a couple of quotes uh, from early church fathers. This is still the persecuted church. This is well before Constantine. This is Cyprian of Carthage. Uh, he writes, the Lord says to Peter, I say to you, he says that you are Peter and upon this rock. I will build my church on him. Peter, he builds the church and to him, he gives the commandment to feed the sheep. This is, you know, after Peter denies him three times, Jesus comes back in John's gospel and says, Simon, do you love me more than these three different times? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And although he assigns a like power to all of the apostles, again, they all get binding and loosing authority, yet he founded a single chair. Uh, we call that the cathedra, so the Latin word there. And he established by his own authority, a source and intrinsic reason for that unity. Indeed, the others were also that which were given to Peter, the apostles, but a primacy is given to Peter, whereby it is made clear that there is one church and one chair. So too, all apostles are shepherds and, and the flock is shown to be one fed by all apostles in a single-minded accord. If someone does not hold fast to the unity of Peter, can he imagine that he still holds the faith? If he should desert the chair of Peter upon whom the church was built, can he still be confident that he is even in the church? The unity of the Catholic church, first edition. This is again written around 250 AD, give or take. There's a bunch of other quotes here I could throw out, but that was the one I was thinking of off the top of my head. Uh, there's one up here. Tertullian says, the Lord says to Peter on this rock, I will build my church. I have given you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on loose will be loose in heaven. Um, I will build my church. Uh, upon you, he says, I will build my church and I will give you the keys, not the church. So literally, uh, he is, he's making the claim that, that Peter, not just the apostles in general, but Peter specifically, uh, is, is given those keys. And I could find other ones as well. These are after Constantine as well. I always like to find their early church fathers before Constantine, um, precisely because, you know, there's, they weren't doing it. You, you can't even make the claim they're, they're, being Catholic or being Christian, being a bishop or whatever, because they, they wanted the authority and the power that came with the office, which you know did happen over time. Um, but they were the persecuted church. And nevertheless, uh, they were very, very clear, uh, even, you know, well before Constantine that the, the primacy 
uh, of the, the church resided in Peter in his office. And we know that these are offices that got passed on. I mean, literally, again, if you look back in, in Isaiah 22, what I just showed you, um, clearly it's, it's a defrocking ceremony and an office outlasts the office holder. The presidency outlasts the president, uh, the CEO out, or the CEO office outlasts the CEO. This is a very, very common thing. And so too, and in fact, when you see Acts, the very first thing the apostles do in the book of Acts is they elect a successor, uh, to fulfill the role of Judas, right? Uh, and of course, later on, we see them electing um, or appointing bishops, priests, and deacons. These are all uh, very uh, New Testament concepts, right? There's nothing that should be terribly ridiculous about any of that stuff uh, if you know your New Testament. So anyway, I'm going to go ahead and end this here. Feel free to comment down below on this video if you have any questions. I hope you found it helpful. Uh, feel free to share this with anyone if you like, and uh, God bless you.